Hey, welcome to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. Today we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. This podcast is associated with the Scattered Abroad Network. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe and check out the episode notes below for contact information including websites and where we can be found on social media. Again, thank you for your support, and let's begin our Bible study. As we mentioned earlier, we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, and looking at with us today is no stranger to this podcast, my friend and fellow classmate, Cody McCoy. Cody, would you introduce yourself to some of those who may not know you? Sure. Good to be with you, Josh, man. It's always good to see your face. I know that you and I talk every other week, probably. Um, but it's good to be with you. Thanks for having me back. I'm Cody McCoy. I'm the Director of Operations for House to House, Heart to Heart, and also Polishing the Pulpit, which is in its 30th year. And this year, got a lot going on. We've expanded to a second event in Branson, um, Missouri. So spent a lot of my time that, the schedules, the operations of um, what it takes for that event. But we're excited about it. The Lord's blessed us with the opportunity to do that. Yeah, it's a great event. Very encouraging. Uh, if you're interested in that, check the notes below and there. Uh, I will, I'll put all the links to PTP and, and uh, House to House, Heart to Heart. Great work. Appreciate the things that they do uh, with all that. The publication, the evangelism seminar, uh, the Pete Polish in the Pulpit uh, are, are all encouraging weeks and uh, proof that uh, when you Dedicate yourself to expanding the borders of the kingdom. God's going God's gonna to bless you. So uh, very uh, appreciative of those efforts, and I'm very glad Cody's over there doing that. I also encourage you, and I'll put the link down below because I forgot exactly what number it is, but Cody's been on there before, did a great job looking at John chapter 1 and John the Baptist. Uh, so I'd encourage you to check that out as well. As mentioned, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we are at today. And uh, essentially, Paul starts this chapter essentially uh, setting up the power of the gospel, the light of the gospel. I would say the key verse in this is chapter 5, for we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Essentially, Paul's saying, let the power of the gospel do what it's going to do and get out of the way. Don't do anything to hinder it. And I think that's going to be a theme uh, or, or, or a thread that's going to run through the, the section of scripture that we're studying today. Uh, and so we'll get into that. Uh, but without further ado, verse seven says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. What do you have there, Cody? Man, he really starts out, doesn't he? And, and since we're marking in our Bible, I, I'll tell you some of the things that I have along the way is is it's important the, the very first few words he said but we have and i don't want us to overlook the importance that that verb was in present tense paul talking about the apostles i believe but he's saying we are currently in possession of this treasure well he knew what he was supposed to teach and the gospel and the doctrines of christ the doctrines of his church and so i'm not so sure that this thing is being revealed piece by piece Paul knew. He said, we have it. We're, we're in possession of what we need to know. Now, that's different from today because you and I have the complete authoritative written word of God. All of us. Anyone has access mm -hmm. to it, um, but not not here. 
So Paul says that it's this treasure. Well, what treasure? You alluded to it in the, the intro to this when you were talking about verses um, uh, four, five, and six. And I think verses four and six, he specifically spells out what the treasure is. It's the light of Christ, mm -hmm. Christ's gospel. And I have that written outside, um, beside treasure there, the context being, of course, uh, verses four and six. It's the light of Christ's gospel. It's that we know about God's grace and his mercy through the life and sacrifice of Jesus. I, I think all of that is encompassed in what he's calling this treasure. The knowledge is of us being taken out of darkness and being put into the light, um, similar to what he would express in Colossians 1.13. But for Paul, this includes divine revelation, not you and I with the written word, but for him, it would include divine revelation. In Galatians 1.12, he spelled it out very specifically. He said, for neither received I um, from man, nor was I taught it, but from the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so when he's talking about this treasure, he's talking about the light of Christ's gospel the teachings that they are going to take to man to be able to tell them, here is how God has provided salvation for you. All right. So oh, continuing yeah. in pieces here, he said that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, the human physical body. Outside of earthen vessels, I have written imperfect and perishing. I do think that that Paul has that in mind, right? Here is this imperfect and perishing body that has the privilege to be carrying the gospel of Christ in it. Was it beaten? Was it bruised? Yes. I like what David Lipscomb had to say about it. He said that any earthly body is an unworthy receptacle for so glorious a message. There is no doubt in my mind that Paul understood that. And from his writings, David Lipscomb is able to see that. This verse helps us to see that God put that message into the apostles and other inspired writers, this weak vessel, so that his power could be magnified and his name glorified. And so at the bottom of this verse, if you've got room in there, that's what I wrote. What was in Paul's mind this whole time is whatever it takes for God to be magnified. Later on in this letter, in chapter 11, verses 23 through 27, Paul makes this list of the things that he's gone through that you and I will never experience. It's a list of the things that he endured in order to illuminate others with the gospel of Christ. And so when he talks about these earthen vessels, it's specifically those men. Um, they needed inspired men in the first century to preach it and then to write it. They didn't have a scroll to read. They didn't have a book to open in front of their audiences. The Corinthians didn't have a Barnes and Noble they could go down to and receive a copy of the New Testament because they didn't exist. Paul's saying that it was put in earthen vessels. Now, fortunately for us, God has preserved it in written form today, but then it was carried in the earthen vessels by the power that God bestowed on those men through the Holy Spirit. Paul, Peter, Mark, Luke, Jude, James, John, all of those in the first century are the earthen vessels that I believe that he's talking about. Now, is, is there something for us to talk about? Is there some way that it that means to us? And I don't want to stretch this too far, but today it's in earthen vessels only in as much as humans preach and teach the New Testament. The same gospel that was inspired by the same Holy Spirit that caused these men to write it down. So maybe 
you know, I can't help but think, Josh, that Paul is sitting at this desk and he's writing this letter. And off to his left is this little clay lamp. We've seen them at school. They're in the library at the Memphis School preaching this little clay lamp that's got the light coming out of it that he can see by. And he thinks about how fragile it is, but how useful it is for carrying light. Or maybe he reflected on Gideon, right? And Gideon had to break these vessels so the light would shine. And Paul will try to tell us in other places that when you break the outer man, the light can shine. You know, God uses ordinary men in the most remarkable way, and they're not society's elite. The men that God chose were fishermen, tax collectors, protesters. And even Paul tells us that he was hindered by his thorn in the flesh. And would God shine brighter through common men of humility, or would he shine brighter through the kings and the governors and society's elite of that day? I think God chose intentionally the men that he chose. Uh, the world needs all Christians to be active proclaimers of the gospel because in this earthen vessel sense, we may be the only Bible that people ever see, but we must never forget that the power of God is in his word. That's why I use these men that were not authorities. They weren't renowned teachers that had these herds of students following them. They weren't famous. They weren't recognized for their great intellect. They were workers and they were laborers. They were ordinary and they were humble. That is an excellent point. And that is going to be the, the thread that runs through. Uh, I did underline belongs to God there at the end, uh, the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. So I underline belongs to God. Uh, made the reference to Gideon in Judges chapter 7, uh, mm. verse 16, as well as verse 19. If you remember there, uh, they put their lamp or their torches uh, inside the potters, uh, inside the clay, jars of clay or the pottery or whatever it is uh, in verse 16. And uh, so the light couldn't be seen. And then you go to verse 19 when they're ready to attack and they break, uh, break the pottery, break the jars so that the light could be seen. So I put uh, that reference and just put this note. Um, if your vessel is not broken, your light will not shine. And that goes back to what you talk about as far as the humility and uh, breaking the outer man in order for the gospel to shine through. And then connected that note uh, with along this verse up to verse 5 uh, with a line that just says, for we proclaim not ourselves. and And that's uh, what Paul is is stressing here is is the powers in the gospel, and and we're going to talk about this here a little later on when we get into ten and eleven. The powers in the gospel is for us to simply be the means in which the gospel gets out. Uh, it's not anything that we're saying that's saving man. It's just the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, I also um, underline that phrase, not us. And put the first uh, Thessalonians first two, four. And just the note that I put to this is this, the frailty of Paul's body further proved God's power. Uh, and it goes along the lines of, you know, you know, kings and, and, and uh, political leaders and these great teachers, if they were to preach it uh, or teach it, then there might be uh some discount to the gospel, I guess you could say, uh, because, uh, you know, you look at the philosophers and all that at the time, they, they get the credit for it. 
But the fact, like you said, that God used fishermen, he used uh, a broken Pharisee who essentially left uh, the Jewish faith, uh, essentially an enemy of Christ to proclaim the gospel. How much more uh, validation of the gospel is there than using somebody who's frail, using somebody who at one point was set against the gospel, uh, using men who didn't have the greatest education uh, from a formal standpoint. I don't want to try and act like these were uh, simple men who were doing this. These were very intelligent men. They just didn't have the formal education uh, that the world would want to see, the sheepskins on the on the wall, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and so, and I think that exemplifies the power of, of the gospel, that God can use ordinary men, frailties of men, uh, weaknesses of men to bring about his will is a further you- attestation to uh, the power of the gospel. Last thing I have is I circled Let me say one thing about power. that before you move on, Josh, because I think you're right. Yeah, Paul, Paul would show it even in the most simplest of phrases that it takes a, a great amount of humility to be able to give all the credit, all the glory, all the honor to God. If you'll remember in Acts 14, right, they go there and they do all these great acts and they go, oh, it's Jupiter, it's Mercury. And the, the focus was not on God. It was on them. And and it kind of reminds me, I don't know if you remember this, I'm going to be a little bit nerdy for a minute. In Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, when the Ewoks take C-3PO and they exalt him as some kind of God, even though he's clumsy and fallen down and C-3PO, he took it and ran with it. He allowed them to put him on the special chair and exalt him and stuff. But Paul reacted very differently. And I think what he was trying to tell them in Acts 14 is, yes, you see us doing incredible things, but it's from God. It's by God. It's with mm-hmm. God. It's for God. And it's hard for him to imagine that he's being used for the most incredible, most valuable purpose on earth in the history of the world. And he's thrilled to do it as long as God's getting the credit. He, he didn't want to be lifted up by man's praise. It wasn't don't look at me. It's look at the cross with the Christ on it. Excellent. And I, and, and, and with that, and, and I'm glad you brought up the cross, keep that in the back of your mind. We're going to get to it. Not right now, uh, but that is going to be important in, in, I think in 10 and 11, I circled surpassing power and uh, just put, don't discount what takes place when a person commits to Christ. Thus don't discount the role God has bestowed on man. And I think sometimes there uh, we we take that for granted. Somebody's baptized, and, and that's great. And we kind of look at well, we don't fully understand the transformation that's being made at that at that moment and and on. If that person remains faithful to Christ, just what exactly is taking place? There is a transformation that is is taking place. I put Second uh, Timothy two one next to that, a vessel of honor. And you look at it from the standpoint of, of here I am, a single jar of clay, uh, proclaiming the gospel to somebody. And then that, so to speak, just to use the analogy, that jar of clay now breaks themselves and the light shines continue in areas that the light, the treasure that, that, that and, and, the, and the way that you said it is reaching places that I can't reach. And, and, and that's... I look at when you look at um, 
I think it's a cell phone commercial where like it starts with a little light in the on the map, and then all of a sudden people are connecting, and it and the and the, and the whole country ends up getting lit up or whatever. That's the thought that I'm thinking of here, and that Paul the point that Paul's making. Um, also, uh, when you think of jars of clay, there's a paradox here. You got a treasure, uh, this valuable treasure, and then a jar of clay. And and uh, one, they're showing a distinct difference between the two. Paul's doing it intentionally, magnifying the gospel, lowering himself. Uh, like you mentioned, the eternality of it. That treasure is going to last much longer than that jar of clay. Uh, and and so there's a, a understanding that where physical bodies are temporary, but the treasure of God, the gospel, its message, and the results thereof are eternal. Uh, but I also think that there is a sense here from an evangelistic standpoint. And, and think about an earthly treasure that you and I have, whether it's a, a block of gold, a piece of jewelry, whatever it is. What do we do with that? And how do we store that, physically speaking? We stick it in a safe, in a, yeah. in a safety deposit box. We put it somewhere. We don't want people to know it's there. We don't want people to find it. And if they do know it's there and they have found the safe, we don't want them to get into it. But by using a jar of clay, which one of the worst ways to protect something, right. I think Paul is is illustrating here that the, the treasure is not meant to be held tight. The treasure is meant to get out. The treasure is meant to be exposed. The treasure is meant to be known. Uh, and so... Uh, and, it's a beautiful comparison, in my opinion, uh, to to exemplify the gospel and its power with the frailty of man. Uh, it's Perfect. it's, uh, I it, it it at times just makes you think, just kind of where Paul was thinking. But uh, when when all said and done, this this is one of my favorite sections of scripture. It's growing to be one of my favorite sections of scripture. For that reason, there's just so much depth and richness to what Paul's saying. You have anything else on verse seven? No, not on verse seven. I think it's excellent thoughts. And if, if that's what we're focused on, knowing that it's always about God, it's not about us. And then Paul's about to give us a mountain of motivation in these next two verses. But that's all I've got for seven. That's great. Verse eight, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. What do you have there? All right. So I call these two verses down, but not out, right? It's a boxing reference, you know, that a, a boxer can be getting beat on pretty good. He can get knocked to the canvas, but he can stand up and take a standing eight and continue in the fight. And uh, we get this type of attitude from Paul throughout. And he doesn't go into detail about these things, but we know in other parts of the New Testament what's happening to him and what he's talking about. And so he says that he's hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. And we look at hard pressed, it was to compress like a wine press. So we're talking, putting massive amounts of pressure onto something that you've contracted it, you've squeezed it. And I think it's interesting to know other ways that this Greek word is translated in the New Testament, troubled tribulation, afflicted, difficult, um, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. That's that same word. So they're, they're talking about um, putting pressure on them. Um, 
it means harmed in physical ways. When the Hebrews writer was writing in chapter 11, verse 37, he said that um, many of these before us have been stoned. They've been sawn in two. They've been slain with the sword. And then at the end of the verse, he talks about how they were destitute, afflicted. That's our word hard pressed here and tormented. But he says, even though those things were happening, that the pressure was put on us in physical ways, in mental ways, that we weren't crushed. Uh, the Greek word leaning toward the meaning of not hemmed in closely. They weren't restricted from, in this case, in the context, spreading the gospel. He said, look, all these things are happening to us. We're getting this pressure put on us, but we're still free to travel. We're still free to preach the gospel. Are we hindered at times? Yes. But are we completely stopped? He said, no, never. Um, and so I, I think that when he's talking about hard pressed and um, not crushed, that that's the idea that he's getting to. And so I don't know if you want to go back and forth on these or we want to go through all four. Uh, you go, go ahead and go through all four. I'll just say this um, kind of just as an introductory and I'll just kind of chime in as you go. But um, yeah, four antithesis here, antithesis illustrations that, and again, we're going back to the paradox of the treasure and the jars of clay, weaknesses of Paul compared to the power of God. And so you could, yeah. you, you could accommodatively say we're not afflicted in every way, but because of the power of God, we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but because of the power of God, we're not driven to despair. And, and so, and that's what Paul's driving here. Um, and I just have a note uh, in, in my Logos Bible uh, moving forward, but not stopping. And, and I think that's a, just from an application standpoint, uh, there are ebbs and flows in Christianity. Everyone kind of when you get when you're baptized, you kind of think that it's just going to be this steady upward climb. Uh, right. and, and it's not. Sometimes you're in valleys. Sometimes you're on mountain peaks. Sometimes you take two steps to go backwards one step. Uh, sometimes you're moving rapidly and other times you're moving at a snail pace and, and, and Paul, same way. If you look at his life, same thing. Uh, but one thing I think you can always say about Paul is he was going forward. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, and I think that's what he's doing. So, uh, what else you have? Yeah. I look, I may be down, but I'm not out. So the next one, he said mm -hmm. perplexed, but not in despair. And there are times that Paul just like us, I think that he didn't know what to do, um, that he could temporarily be at a mental loss for what to do, or he would have some doubts about something. And we think that we have what we need to succeed or escape. Uh, we need to rely on that. He said, I'm perplexed. Mentally, I don't have all the answers right now. He said, but I'm not in despair. He's not completely at a loss. Because there are a couple of things that he would always have, and that would be a law, um, that would be direction and hope. So he didn't have loss of those things, even though he may not, not know what to do right at that moment. I, I think mm -hmm. about you and I, Josh, we have prayer. We have God's providence. Although we're not able, always able to put our finger on what it is when it happens, we still have it. And most importantly about all this down but not out is that we have the life after this one. You know, I don't remember who said it, but they said for a Christian, this life is as bad as it gets. And for those that are lost, this is good as it gets. And so, yes, there are going to be times that we're perplexed, but we don't need to be in despair. Paul said that he was persecuted. 
but not forsaken. So he's in his third mm -hmm. one now. Persecuted. Now, this one doesn't necessarily mean the way that we're talking about it all the time. I think sometimes we're a little too specific with the word persecuted. This one simply means to follow after, pursue, to drive away or put to flight. And so that happened to Paul all the time. He was persecuted in this way everywhere he went. If they saw Paul, heard what we had, to, um, what he was preaching, they were wanting to drive him away. If you'll remember throughout Acts 13 and 14, it happened at Antioch, so he went to Iconium. It happened at Iconium, so he went to Derby. It happened at Derby, so he went to Lystra. And then Paul had the nerve, you know, Josh, Paul had the nerve to go backwards through those cities where he had been put to flight. And even in Acts 17 at Thessalonica, when they preached, what did they do? The Jews went and attacked Jason's house. Paul went to Berea. What happened? Those Jews that were against Paul came down to Thessalonica and pursued him and caused him trouble in Berea. So it was just rarely in these cases from city to city to, to shoo him away. They were wanting to cause physical harm, and sometimes they did. But he says, I was not forsaken, which literally means left behind in some place. Paul would always have the help and means to continue to spread the gospel somewhere else. You'll remember the brethren helped him escape, right? There are times that he was delivered. They lowered him down the wall in the basket. Um, the time that he was shipwrecked at Malta, that he was able to make it that far. He gets bit by a viper, but he's not harmed. Paul knew that God's grace was sufficient for his thorn in the flesh. So throughout the Old Testament, Paul would have been a good student of it. The Hebrews writer would write about it where it says, God says that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul believed it. Do we? In our study of these things to see Paul's confidence in that, are we persecuted but not forsaken? We are. Do we know it? And then the last one, Paul said that he was struck down but not destroyed, literally to cast down or to throw down. Were there times that Paul had been cast down? Sure. He was stoned and left for dead in Acts 14, 19. He was thrown into prison, but Paul still had an effective ministry. You look back through how many of these letters are being written while Paul's in prison. He was struck down, but he wasn't destroyed. He said, I'm still alive and I'm physically to, able to proclaim the gospel. So that's what I'm going to do. You know, you think about Paul sit, sitting in the prison. It, most of the things that have happened to him in his ministry have already happened by the time he starts writing. In Galatians 6, 17, he says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Do we ever sit and think about what Paul looked like physically after these years of abuse, the scars from his service to Jesus? You know, he would say that he had 195 stripes across his back. I'm sure that there were scars from the time that he was stoned, maybe that had bruised his flesh, disfigured his face, broke his bones. I don't really know, but I can't imagine that Paul recovered to the same level after the stoning physically. What about scars from being tossed in the sea? All of that. And Paul says, but not destroyed. He has marks because of what he taught and defended, not because he was unlucky, not because he was clumsy or accident prone. He suffered all of those things to glorify God. And he didn't want a purple heart. He just wanted to glorify God. So I'll give you the four words that I've written next to these two verses. I've got them in two different ones, and then I'll turn it back over to you. 
but I have in here the four things that he said that he was, but not this. He was talking about being rejected, about being mm -hmm. rattled, about being relocated, and about being roughed up. And so that's your um, uh, alliteration for the day. But what he really said is they tried to affect us emotionally. They tried to affect us intellectually, geographically, and physically. But I didn't go anywhere. I continued to proclaim the gospel light. That's great. I uh, appreciate you keeping that alliteration to four points <laughs> so I can use it in a sermon. <laughs> sure. Those who don't joke, Cody and I have a joke that goes on. I don't go higher than four points in a sermon. So uh, I always appreciate. Uh, but in all seriousness, no, a great, great way to look at it. Every way, verse eight, we are afflicted in every way or from all sides. Intensity and scope is what I put next to that. That's good. Uh, so I think that so every any way that you could be persecuted, Paul, I mean, beaten, left for dead, imprisoned, uh, probably stalled. I mean, they're just a gambit of things and he's, he's had them at the fullest intensity, but, and, and that's a hard thing to do when you're in that type of situation, a lot of the situations he's in. And then you look at it from the standpoint, you know what, but I'm, it hadn't reached the fullest intensity. Uh, so the fullest intensity would, you know, and, and so there's something to look forward to in that sense. Uh, despair is an interesting word at the end of verse eight. It's found only another time. And in, uh, in the New Testament, that's in chapter one and verse eight of, of St. Corinthians, when he says, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Uh, despaired there literally means a situation with no outlet. Uh, and uh, I want to just consider the very end of Paul's life. Now, the, here we're talking about it from the standpoint of, like you said, at his wit's end. He didn't know what to do, but he knew that regardless, there was all there. Was, he wasn't in a position that there was no way out. Uh, and I think that's important because at one point, Paul's going to be in a position where he would lose his life. And even in that situation, it wasn't a situation where there was no way out. And you think about Philippians 121, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that whole dialogue, he tells the church there. I'm stuck betwixt two. Either I want to stay with you and help the cause of the church. Uh, but on the other hand, I want to go be with Jesus. And I'm not going to tell you which one I prefer because uh, I think he would hurt their feelings. But uh, that's the point that he's made, even in death. And like you said, it goes back to the idea of this is the worst there is uh, for the one who who's faithful. And for the one who's lost, it's the best there is. Uh, and, and that idea of of having no way out that is never the case for the christian and that's that's something and even with the, when you talk about uh prayer and all that there there is a faithful christian there is never an instance where they are in a situation with no outlet because no. death is death becomes an outlet to what awaits afterwards and so um interesting point um with you as far as not forsaken uh, these are military and athletic terms, uh, like you mentioned earlier, and I just think of uh, struck down, you're in a time, the Roman Empire, there's war, that's how you conquer, uh, and there's that that idea of, of being wounded, but like you said, being alive. They weren't the, the enemy was not able to strike that crushing blow, and I think back to Job, 
uh, and and you look at the end of Job one, uh, and and in school that uh, when we were studying Job, that was the imagery pick, you know, picked up at the end of verse one when uh, you picture Job standing there and a servant after servant just keeps bringing this this terrible news, terrible news, terrible news about the loss of his children, the loss of his possessions, and all that. Uh, and the imagery is, is that Satan hit Job in the mouth and he fell down. And then it says he got up and then he fell to his knees to worship God. Uh, and that's he, Satan. And then you go to chapter two uh, and the remainder of the book and Satan hits him physically. But I, you just have to think about the frustration in Satan from the standpoint that he does everything he can possibly do to Job within the parameters of what God has set, and Job still gets back up. He wasn't able to strike that that death blow, that 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 uh, life-ending shot for Job. Now, fast forward to the Bible. I mean, to the New Testament, not to the Bible. The New Testament uh, to Golgotha. You know, he tempted Jesus in the in the wilderness, uh, and and was unsuccessful. And then you go to Calvary, and he hits Jesus with what he thinks is the death blow. Yeah, he leads wicked men, tempts wicked men, to crucify the Messiah. And, and and you would think, okay, he's dead, just like the religious leaders. He's dead. He's no longer a problem. Three days later, here he comes, uh, and and. And we have have the gospel and we have the hope of salvation today. I mean, it's I, that mentality that Paul has that they can't beat me. There's a there's a sense of they can't beat me. They can slow me down, but they can't can't stop me. And so I uh, appreciate those thoughts. Do you have anything else on those passages? Man, just if we would believe even half to the half the degree that Paul did about, about what we're talking about today, it would change the church. It would change the world. Mm -hmm. We have to have 100%. that type of confidence in knowing. So when he wrote first Corinthians 10, specifically verse 13, it's because it, it happened to him time and time and time again. He was absolutely convinced that no matter what happened to him, that he would be delivered. And if he wasn't, then he gets to go home to his reward. It's, it is transformational for our lives. If we can truly wrap our heads around that. Well, and it's a paradox too, because like you mentioned, the the look of Paul, you know, beaten and all that, what the deformities he probably had because of his missionary work. No uh, and you look at it from a world standpoint, no one in Paul's situation, physically speaking, and everything that he's enduring should be as confident as he is yeah. from an earthly standpoint, but from a spiritually standpoint, when we look at it from the perspective that we're looking at it today, we have we understand why he's that confident. And like you said, if we would look at it that way, there's there's no reason we shouldn't, because we we serve the same God uh, today that Paul served in the first century, and and uh, so there's no reason that we should. In fact, we have the luxury. None of us have been beaten, left for dead, shipwrecked for the cause of Christ. You know, maybe we've we've been rejected. Maybe we've been ridiculed. Uh, maybe someone's called us a name here and there, uh, but no one's experienced it to the. And I know there are and those in the and around the world that are experienced it to a greater degree than we are. Uh, sure. But we all have the same. We can all have the same confidence Paul had. 
because it's the same God and the same gospel. Uh, you have anything else before we go on to 10? No, I'm good. All right, verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to the flesh for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. What do you have there? Unfortunately, I, I don't know how much we relate to th these particular verses in our life in America in the 21st century. When he says that he's always caring about the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, I think there's two ways to look at it. I could be wrong, but it's the things that come to mind for me is that, number one, he was able to relate to the innocent suffering of Jesus by what was happening to him. Now, he wasn't there in John 15, 20 and 21 when Jesus says, don't be surprised because this is going to happen to you, too. Um, but I think that's that's one way. And then second is that he carried the thought of his sin causing Jesus's death in his physical body, that his body, Paul's body, my body, your body have sinned and sin caused Jesus's death. And this body in this material existence will always carry that thought um, in the next body we receive. It won't. But in this one, it does. And so I think that about always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus could be one in that way, either in his innocent suffering or in his recognition that his sin caused Jesus's death. Yeah, I think the double entendre probably leaves it. Uh, or not double entendre, but the dual meaning, I, th I think you probably have a, a mixture of both uh, in that sense. Excellent point. Um, yeah, so I, I read this in a comment. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I read this in a commentary and I found it interesting. Um, I put next to this passage, uh, chapter 5 and verse 16, when it says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. And then the, the commentator made this point. He said, Paul's opponents patterned themselves after the flattery. And this is, these are my words summarizing, summarizing what he said. But Paul's opponents patterned themselves after the flattering aspects of Christ's life. In other words, he was a great orator. And you go to chapter 11, verse 6, Paul talks about the, uh, he's not a, a, a good speaker. Um, but when he proclaims the gospel, uh, or someone were performing miracles. Uh, and so maybe they looked at Jesus as this great miracle worker. You go to chapter 12 and verse 12, Paul would seem to address that as well. And then I'll just put Paul patterned himself as a fellow sufferer first and foremost. And I think when I look at, we look at it today, and if you'll just allow me to develop this thought for just a moment, when we look at it today, and I'm talking about among the religious world in general. There's always this image. We have to imitate Christ. And, and that's a valid point. I'm not trying to discount that. Okay. But when we think of imitating Christ, how do we think of imitating Christ? We think of imitating Christ in love. We think of imitating Christ in forgiveness. We think of imitating Christ in grace and in mercy. And those are all valid 
imitations of Jesus. But when we step back and look at our role in those instances, it's us bestowing, it, 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 for lack of a better term, it low-key exalts us. Oh, I love him. I love him with the love that Jesus had for me. I, I forgave him. In other words, this is someone needing me to do something for them. Look at me, if that makes sense. And I don't, I'm not trying to question anyone's motivation, but when we think about imitating Christ, those are the areas our, our mind goes to naturally because it still makes us, for lack of the better term, the hero of the story, right? Paul's yeah. making that point. When we, when we start to talk about imitating Christ, are we going to suffer as Christ? Are we going to, and, and when you start talking about suffering from the standpoint of, of in order to imitate Christ, then that's probably where we stand up losing people because we don't think about that. How, how, and I don't, I'm not saying this is how people, but how arrogant is it to think that Jesus came to this world, left heaven and was treated the way he was. And you can even put Paul in this case. How arrogant is it to think that Paul, as he's spreading the gospel through the world, the known world at the time, is enduring all these things. How arrogant is it for us to think that we should be immune to somebody shutting a door in our face right. or making us stand up for our faith or questioning why we're doing it? Why, why, why is it that mentality? And I think that's like you said, if we start to take the mentality of Paul in this instance, then yes, when I go to someone's door and I try to evangelize uh, and, and spread God's word and he calls me a name and slams the door on my face, why do I get offended? Yeah. Why, why, why does that keep me from going to the next door? Why does it keep me from showing up for the next opportunity to door knock? Why is do you see what does that make sense? Am I sure conveying does. that in, in that sense that down but not out? Jesus I mean, said in Matthew 10 20. Go ahead. I was just saying it's down but not out. I mean, we have to, as Christians, go back to that mentality that Paul had. It's what what allowed him to continue to do good for the kingdom. Is you're not gonna stop me. Right. And I, and I think he's saying here that if you were going to exemplify Jesus, the greatest way to do it, it's to suffer with him. Yeah. Uh, and, and Jesus would make that point. Matthew 10, 24, the servant's not greater than the master. Uh, Mark 8, 34, uh, which I put next to it, we must share in the cross and bearing the cross. Uh, think about what he told the rich young ruler. Thou you lacks one thing, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And he wasn't willing to do it. No. He wasn't willing to suffer. I, I have no doubt that he probably loved people uh, and he forgave people and he showed mercy and grace. He sounds like a good individual. All these things I kept from his youth up. So he was probably a good individual who showed those things. But when it came time for him to personally be uncomfortable he wasn't willing to do it. And I think that's where we see this today. And Paul, Paul's taking this to an extreme because he's showing the paradox of a, you have this life of comfort that I think Christians want to have. We, we want to we be associated with Christ. We want to love like him. And we should. 
But don't forget to put in there, we need to suffer like him as well, whether it's a monetary sacrifice, whether it's a time sacrifice, whether it's a social sacrifice, whatever it is, there, there are facets of our lives in which we can give over to Christ uh, and it to be uncomfortable. Who knows? Maybe in our lifetimes, it's going to come to the point where we're going to have to suffer the way Paul did. We're going to be beaten for the things Maybe. that we say. We're going to be in prison for the things we say. We'll even be killed for the things we say. Are we willing to do it? Because that's that that's the question we have to ask ourselves. And 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 I'll be honest with you. Dying for Jesus, dying for the gospel is not a decision that takes place when you're standing in front of the firing squad. Right. That's a decision that takes place long before you ever reach the point where it's a possibility. And I think Paul made that point. And, and so uh, what else do you have? Well, ju just to end the verse, you know, he said that the life of Jesus also manifested in our body. I, I think you could make an argument that they were carrying the New Testament around in their body. And that's what he's talking about. But the first part of this chapter, he said that they were carrying the light of Jesus Christ to the world. So their thoughts, their words, their actions were being guided by a righteous teaching from a righteous teacher. And quite frankly, the only righteous teacher, Jesus. So the way that you and I live, what he taught is how we manifest Jesus in our body. And I think that we, that our previous conversation before I jump back in, that's what we're saying. That you manifest mm -hmm. Jesus in your body by the way you live what he taught. Great point. And, and I put next to verse 11. 13 of verse four, where it says, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. Talking about Jesus, for we are also weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Uh, and I think if you want to summarize uh, what Paul's talking about here, go to 13 of verse four, because that's essentially what he's saying. Jesus was weak, but he proved to be by the power of God strong. Uh, and I say weak in the sense of he was crucified, his body was beaten right. and crucified. And then from that came and, you, you know, he all talks about in Ephesians because of that, he's exalted to the right hand of God. The Hebrew author makes that point. Uh, and we, too, same thing. We suffer with with Christ on this earth. We suffer uh, in the way Christ suffered. Uh, in other words, sacrificing uh, ourselves to the world. Uh, Galatians 2.20 comes to mind living uh, for Christ rather than for ourselves, then we're going to be exalted to the power of God's going to do the same thing for Christ that it did for, oh, I'm sorry, the same thing it did for Christ, it's going to do for Paul and it's going to do for every Christian who dedicates themselves uh, to his gospel and to this treasure. Uh, and, and I think when we think about it from that standpoint, we come back full circle. How can you not call the light of the knowledge of the glory of God a treasure. Right. Uh, and, and I think that's what he, he's just, if you want to look at it from that standpoint, he's justifying why he calls the gospel a treasure. And this is it. We're beaten, but we're not out. We're down. We're not out. You know, we're, we're ridiculed, but we're not out. We're, we're put to death, but we're not out. Why wouldn't you call it a treasure? Right. And, and why wouldn't you give up everything for it? You, you think about everything that Paul has seen or heard about. Just in the number of Christians that Paul in his lifetime may have heard or seen be be put to death, 
And, and he writes this verse 11. He said, we're ready to die for the gospel message and we won't stop. Well, why were they ready to die? Because even the threat of losing their own mortal life was not reason enough for them to deny Jesus and his power to save man from their sins. I, mm -hmm. I, I read that. I think about that. And I say, what about me? What's going to deter me from preaching the gospel to someone? Because it's usually far less. If we'll admit it and be honest with ourselves, it's far less than the threat of death. Now, we can learn a lot about commitment to God from these verses. Both life and death and everything in between are in Jesus and no other. I mean, that that's kind of what I see from, from the whole text. Uh, that's a great point. That is a great way to close it out. Uh, Cody, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you again for your time. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and a Me great too. job as usual. Uh, for those who are watching, uh, thank you again for watching. Uh, thanks for your support. Please thank, uh, share, subscribe, uh, give this to your friends, uh, help us grow so we can get this out to as many people as can. And with that, uh, we are out.